Hello and welcome to the second episode of Mega Ten Marathon, a game-by-game look through the history of the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. Um, I'm Paul M. Davis, and I am here with... It's me, Brian Static, or Brian May. I don't really care. One of those names is real. And I'm Evan. And we are talking about the second half of Megami Tensei 1. Huh, yeah. So where did we leave off last week? Who did we defeat? Loki, right? We did indeed. Took care of our main antagonist from the books. He wasn't a very big threat in the grand scheme of things. And we're in Mazurka Mazurka Corridor. Mazurka, is that right? I think so. I wonder how that is in Japanese. That's not a syllable you can make in Japanese. Yeah, that's a tough one. Mazurka? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, so you guys are all in Mazurka Tower. I'm back in the quarters of Valhalla because I totally forgot to rescue that prisoner. Uh, something that is fairly important. Uh, uh, since I had already beaten Loki, it was super easy and it took almost no time. Yeah, you do definitely need to go back and uh, rescue Rick from his chains. And if you do that... You get Rick's bracelets, which the immediate use for that is not obvious uh, and does not come into play for a very long time. And you also get a free demon who I believe was a, a, Laksh- a Lakshmi, like that one producer on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> so you get so you go back, you, you rescue Rick, then you, you're, you're on your way beat uh, Loki and right behind him. Now, actually, can you, I think you can access Mazurka Corridor before you even beat Loki. Um, uh, you can, yeah. yeah. Actually, because I had skipped that huge chunk of the Hala Corridor, uh, this is where I went to grind up so I could fight Loki. Nice. And it's definitely a great grinding spot, except mm. for the fact that we should actually mention this right off the bat, that there are two enemies in that area that can completely fuck you over if you get a bad roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got you got the vampire, and obviously they suck your blood, you lose a level. It's terrible. But then you also have one of my favorite enemy designs in the game, the Night Loa, who's just a giant floating head, kind of like uh, the guy who gives out missions in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. <laughs> He's that guy if his head randomly flashed between like a sort of normal head and a half skull. Yep, exactly. Terrifying. But, okay, so you're in a Mazurka Corridor, and you can, if you look at your map, and you can, throughout the entire game, just look at the world map and see all these levels coming up and what their basic gimmicks are going to be level design-wise. Mazurka Corridor has two towers. You got your west and your east tower, and you have to go all the way up one and then down the other. Well, actually, you don't have to go up the west tower in a very strange design decision. You can just go straight to the Sky City Captain, who, by the way, guys, I completely lost track of this guy. I ran into him once and then couldn't for the life of me find out where he was. But he's right by the elevator on floor two of Sky City. I don't know how I missed him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he uh, he can take Sky City and fly it around all over the place for you, which uh, comes in pretty handy later on. And also, it's one of the few animation uh, viewpoint changes in the game where it shows like this tiny little animation of Sky City flying up. This is completely in top down view, flying up and then landing in whatever place you tell it to be at. Yeah, and that's super useful because it basically means not only is it your fast travel throughout different parts of the game, uh, but it also gives you easy access to probably the most useful town in the entire game all in all. Because uh, you have the gambling things, which are a pretty decent way to make back your money if you've lost it in the dungeons. Uh, there's a couple of points that we'll talk about later where you will lose all of your money. And it's it's nice having access to that relatively quickly for the rest of the game. It is. And it's nice to be able to skip part of uh, Mazurka Corridor because I don't know if it was just me, but the like endless blue rocky tiles just made it incredibly difficult for me to navigate and just like really confused me. I just got this kind of like weird hypnotic effect as I was just going through these like endless like blue boulder tile mazes and I don't know why I was just completely like getting lost and confused throughout this section of the game. Yeah there's not really much to say about Mazurka Tower other than at the end of it there is a um a brief boss, uh, after 
what felt like forever, but was actually only a few different floors. Uh, so the entire West Tower all the way up is, like, like Brian said, it's optional, uh, but you will gain a lot of levels and get a lot of money by going through it. I don't think there's anything absolutely essential item-wise or anything like that on there. And then on your way back down, uh, the, the first thing I saw when I was on uh, Mizraka Towers, I saw my first Soma in the game. And Somas restore all of your health and uh, MP. Mm -hmm. uh, previously, there was one healing item called the Jewel that was introduced. Uh, but I was convinced there weren't, wasn't going to be any way to recover MP in this game other than leveling up or getting resurrected. So this turned out to be a really nice surprise. And Somas are not like Ethers. I found, I want to say, three of them in the entire game. I don't know why they're so rare or like who's hoarding them, but they are not abundant. And one of the things I think, one of the reasons I think they're that rare is because every boss fight basically boils down to can you heal your group fast enough and for long enough until your damage dealers work down the boss's HP. Mm -hmm. uh, with very few exceptions, bosses generally can't take out your entire team or a team member in one round. So as long as you have enough MP to just keep the fight going on longer, you'll probably win every boss. Yeah, especially because magic is so weak in most of the battles, especially the boss battles. You just, you know, end up just like hitting them and you can save your MP for healing. So what what in the world is a Soma? It's a pretty cool Internet radio station. Right. Or a horror game made by the Amnesia, the Dark Descent developers. And wasn't originally from uh, uh, Brave New World. It was the... Uh, drug that uh numbed everybody into uh whatever yeah, that, that would do it yeah yeah i don't know if that's what they were referring to but i feel like soma is still around in the uh present day games and skooma is a drug in skyrim okay sorry <laughs> um so yeah no western tower not a script almost nothing happens i i am not even sure if you gain any treasure but there's got to be at least one or two treasure chests that give you a bunch of of uh of Maka, but nothing of note, really. The Eastern Tower, once you get up and over there, has a small town on the sixth floor, uh, finally giving you another save point, your first sense, Sky City, as well as a new armor shop and a new weapon shop. And uh, at this point, I was still uh, I was still rolling in the Maka, so I spot I wiped out those shops, you know, theoretically. Oh, yeah, me too. I think I had something like 80,000 at that point. Yeah, with the with the amount of grinding that you're doing, it you know you just start collecting money and it's totally fine. The the money curve is very strange in this game. Um, it's a it's about to hit its first road bump very soon, but we're at this point still rolling in it like Scrooge McDuck. All right, so we uh, you go to the go to the shops. You you find your new cathedral of shadows. It's your home base now for the next. For the next while, um, basically until you get to the next city, obviously, at the bottom of the Sea of Flames. Uh, so we know at this point, by talking through NPCs, that the boss of this tower is going to be Hecate, uh, the, the goddess witch of ancient Greek lore. Uh, I think my first introduction to her was uh, a man on, I think the third floor, it was like, I just saw a man running around naked screaming about Hecate. <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And you start you start to hear rumors from other NPCs about the uh, next item that you'll need. Uh, you'll notice this is a pattern by now. Every boss seems to have one key item that is almost absolutely necessary in order to beat them. Yeah. Uh, but not so necessary that the game won't let you go to that boss and try anyway. This is Gaia the Thief that supposedly stole something from Hecate. So the specific thing you're looking for is the Silver Relief. The thing that Gaia stole from Hecate. Uh, the Silver Relief is necessary because if you don't have it, you can't see Hecate. Uh, so I actually went down there once, saw that she was invisible, and was immediately like, oh, no, no, I'm I'm, I'm clearly missing something. I just reloaded my save. And then you also need to collect the uh, Latsu statue to be able to damage her. So in this case, you need two items to really do a dent. Yeah, first time that you've needed more than one item to accomplish your goal in that way. And uh, I'm not really sure if it serves much of a general gameplay purpose. I mean, it's just it just seems like another distraction, another fetch quest, just something else to occupy your time for a brief moment. But there is a, a small puzzle for the Latsu statue that's projected way ahead of when it's actually relevant to you. A long time ago, you probably ran into an NPC that told you exactly how much Eris's necklace weighs which is an item that you purchased from Rags' shop way back in Valhalla Corridor. 
with this item, you need to swap out, you know, Indiana Jones style, swap it before the trap sets when you find the Latsuo statue. Yeah, and the thing I forgot to mention about Gaia and the Silver Relief, uh, Gaia doesn't sell it to you for a reasonable price. So you start up, you start up negotiation, and he's like, hey, man, give me half your money, and then, then I'll give you this awesome statue. Mm-hmm. If you say no, he just tells you to basically fuck off. If you say yes, he tells you, you know what? You seem like a rich guy. How about you give me all of your money? Uh, so, yeah, as soon as you talk to him, you immediately lose your ability to do useful things like Heal yourself, pay for things, or summon your demons. Because every time you summon your demon, you have to pay with cash. Yeah. Yep. So this is the first time, and and pretty much the only time where the game actively impedes your money progress. And it's it, it's somewhat rough going after this for a little while. Eventually, you recover, and nothing is really a problem anymore. But uh, I did not recover in time before I got to the next town. So that was the first time I actually had to. Uh, besides the very beginning of the game, grind for weapons and armor. Yeah, and I, I don't want to predict too much of how, what the developers were thinking, but there are a lot of moments like this where there's a re- there's a mechanic that doesn't seem to work right, or it seems very hostile to the player. But then you think about it, it's like, okay, well, they were probably playing through this game, testing it out, and they saw, oh, you're rolling in money at this point. Money loses its value halfway through the game. What mm-hmm. if we just took it all from you? Uh, similarly to how Somas, if they were more common, would trivialize every boss fight, so they make them super rare. Right, right. And they just wanted to make the end game a little more of a struggle. I can see that. Is this the part where you get the guy in the bottle or is that later? That's later. That's later. Okay. So uh, with those two items, you go to fight Hecate. And, um, you know, I don't remember this fight being much of a problem with anything, really. She does have the physical damage. So you really need to have a healer that's uh, Casa Meteorama. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just mostly a, like, battle of attrition. Yeah, with me, this this was the longest battle of the entire game. Not because it was especially hard, but because I had demons that had a lot of HP, but couldn't deal a lot of physical damage. So I actually ended up using my Soma here to bring uh, my character's MP back to max. You know, I think I might have had to do that for this fight as well. There was one boss fight, I can't remember which one, but I think this is the one where my MP wasn't quite overpowered enough to take on the whole fight. So once you're uh, once you're done with Hecate, you uh, unceremoniously move into the next level, which has probably the most visually interesting background in the entire game. Yes, the Sea of Flames. Yeah, all the walls are made of undulating fire, which looks really cool. Um, I mean, in comparison to the uh, backgrounds that you've seen up to this point. Um and, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say real quick, I, I bet that the NES version does not look anywhere near as good as the, the SNES version does. No, I imagine the NES version looks like uh, just like vine, orange vines or <laughs> something like that. Yeah, exactly. So you were saying. But, uh, yeah, then you uh, quickly d- uh, realize that the fire damages you uh, every time you move. Um, until much later in the dungeon, which oh, yes. uh, is a real pain in the ass. Oh, yes. I warned you guys about this before you <laughs> got to it. This was the first time that this game start. I mean, it's not the worst penalty in the world. It's basically the same as having your mag depleted, except it also affects you and your demons. So you and your demons all lose about one HP every move. But... The real problem is navigating to where the salu- the the thing that lets you avoid the fire damage is because it's pretty complicated to actually navigate the path. Yeah, it's incredibly arcane, and I don't know how you would do it successfully without losing your damn mind, um, without FAQs and maps. Well, and not only is it a pain to get there, uh, so, so the thing you have to do is you have to get Izanami's robes uh, to stop you from taking one HP of damage for every character for every turn. Uh, the way you get that is you find Izanami up on the, uh, I think it was the second floor basement, mm-hmm. and she's locked up in an evil mask that Lucifer put on her. And in order to get her out of the mask, you have to place three orbs in three holes in the correct order with the correct orb in each one. And if you get any one of them wrong, you lose your opportunity to get that robe. So you either use a save state or you load your last save. Now, I believe there is one very not 
clear clue in the game that kind of explains this to you. But it doesn't, when you're in the moment, it really doesn't feel like the game gave you anything to go on. No. But yes, you have to place not only the orbs in the correct the correct slot, you also have to get the order in which you put the orbs in correctly as well. So it's incredibly easy to mess this up. I don't think the SNES game gives you a complete bailout. I think it just kicks you out of the room. Oh, well, that's nice. But the NES version definitely, if you fail this... You just don't get the item. You, I still think you can beat the game without it, but... Oh, definitely. It just makes this area a pain in the ass. Oh, yes. Yeah. Although, one thing I did appreciate about the damage in the Sea of Flames is that it... So, I had never really dealt with mag... Uh, def, with having zero mag and taking that damage until... Except in, like, really, really brief moments. Uh, except after the Sea of Flames, I was pretty much running zero mag or close to it for the rest of the game because I had built a pretty strong team of demons up, and I figured... Mm-hmm. And Sea of Flames actually got me used to not really worrying too much about it. Yep, that's that's exactly where I started running out of mag as well. Um, it even led to a random encounter that I didn't even know could happen. I ran into a wandering demon. Uh, he he kind of looked like a gnome or a dwarf, and he had a sack, and he basically came approached me one day just on one random move and said, Hey, looks like you're running out of mag. I'll give you 2,000 for some of your maca. And that was the only time I saw that encounter in the entire game. So I actually saw the encounter pretty often. Um, but he has three options, I think. You can choose to... He said, hey, give me some money and I'll give you some mag. You can take either his small bag of mag, uh, his large bag, or his medium bag. And if you take a small bag, he'll be, hey, man, I like your style. Never change, kid. And he basically says, I'll see you later. And then next time you get a half moon, he'll show up again. Uh, and I think you have to be out of mag and on a half moon in order for him to show up. So one thing I, I wanted to mention about uh, the Sea of Flames uh, while we're still here is my girlfriend noticed. Well, she started calling the doorways SpongeBob and Hell because <laughs> it was just they're they're very perfectly rectangular in this odd shape, and he's surrounded by flames. It's, it was it's a cute image. Um, so, you know, in, in the Sea of Flames, you also, you get your weapon and armor shop. Like I said earlier, this is the first time where I actually had to build up some maca to afford some decent gear. And you can, uh, you can get some uh, pretty good upgrades. This is pretty much the last stop you're going to make in terms of purchasing weapons and armor for the rest of the game. Yeah, there's a couple of armor shops later on, but you're pretty close to getting the best sword in the game and the best armor in the game just out of chests. Yeah, and I, I believe I found those before I found the next armor shop anyway. But um, yeah, it's pretty easy to, to, to finish up the game uh, with the, the loadout you're about to get. So we did Izanami, we covered that. Um, did we mention specifically that the orbs you needed to free Izanami were the orbs that you got from beating the first three bosses of the game? Oh, actually, speaking of Izanami, the other the other thing that you notice whenever you uh, get the robe from her is she gives you both the robe and a silk string. And she, she says, I can make you something wonderful out of this, but even if I start now, it won't be done in time for your final battle. So she just takes it away, presumably for the next game. Yeah, that's obviously yeah. one of those things they added for the Kyoku uh, expansion of the games. And actually, the, the silk thread, I believe, you find in a treasure chest earlier in the game. I can't remember quite where, though, but I believe you've had it on you for a while at this point. Okay, that would make sense. Um, also, her giving you her robe is kind of odd, seeing as how that was a huge plot point in the novels. It seems like the guys who made the game maybe didn't really read the books, just kind of heard the concept and was like, well, yeah, we can roll with this. Well, that's fair enough. <laughs> All things considered. So... Yeah. obviously uh, when you're about to fight a boss you got to go find the item to go beat that boss and you can you can go fight set if you want you'll find out that it's pretty hard and to really beat him you have to track down a mini boss named persky and uh persky is a horseman who's mm-hmm. got a, a magical neigh that can help you out <laughs> yes yes and there's an npc that warns you about him um really uh weasley uh NPC who says, uh, Percy's place is dangerous. I don't want you to have anything to do with him. I really don't because he's really dangerous, you know. So, you know, he's really kind of uh, driving it at home. But uh, Persky isn't really that dangerous. No, he was really, really easy. He took three turns, maybe. 
so yeah, you beat Persky, you get his nay, which is just an, an item that activates automatically when you need it. You uh, Then you go down to track set. Really, you're just trudging through the Sea of Flames to get to him. No big deal, really. Uh, until, actually, in a, in a room, uh, you find a bottle with a demon inside of it. Um, I forget the demon's name. It was my bottle buddy, Ruth. My is... <laughs> uh, Yeah, the demon's name is Ruth. Okay, I did not remember that. So he, Ruth, is it a he? No. Caspia lady, right? This genderless demon named Ruth um, <laughs> now has the ability to tell you when there are hidden rooms. There have been rooms that you have been finding throughout the game where basically you'll step in and say, something feels off. And then you'll be jump, dropped right back out of that room. If you go back to all of those rooms, you'll find out that those rooms actually had a secret door in them that's activated when you cast, of all the spells you have, when you cast Mapara, the map-making spell. But they will only appear once you have the bottle demon. Yeah, because before that, if you're in the room, it just kicks you out without any option. So you can't even cast Mapara. Yeah, so then the next thing you do is you head back up to fight set. Uh one thing I'll add about this part of the game, this is where I stopped trying to map every inch of every floor. It's also where I was kind of getting fed up with it. I was still yep. having fun, but it was definitely getting more frustrating from this point on, uh, specifically because this area had you just trudging up and down, backtracking, and going to all these little rooms that you may or may not have remembered. This was just about my breaking point as well, but my breaking point is just a little further, and I'll explain why. <laughs> But go ahead, Paul. I started to feel a little, uh, little malaise uh, in uh, Mazurka and uh, frustration. And then by Sea of Flames, I was definitely sh- or, uh, checking my watch to see, uh, <laughs> see how much, uh, you know, how much time I was really going to keep putting into this because it does reach a level of frustration and. Um, you know, just repetition and a lot of very odd little puzzles that are really essential. And the puzzles uh, seem to get increasingly hard to figure out, even if you have an FAQ. I, I maybe spent a, a grand total of two hours figuring out where Izanami even was located. It was incredibly frustrating. Absolutely. And this is definitely the kind of game where... If, if, if it ever came out in English and it, it was an old NES game, there would be hundreds of maps for this game. They'd be really easy to find. Go on a website, find where everything is, and easily solve your problems. But because not only is this not an English game, but this is the second release that had a couple of minor changes to some of the maps, some of the areas, you go online and it, if you can find a map at all, you aren't 100% sure which version of the game the map's for. So you don't know if you can trust it or not or really how well documented it is. Yeah, it, it it's... There's a lot of barriers to find en- finding enjoyment in this game sometimes. <laughs> I had three facts open at the same time that I was like cross-checking between yep. at certain points. Mm-hmm. Because there was so much misinformation or, or just a weirdly written fact that didn't quite make sense. <laughs> Ugh. So, we get to set. He is the Egyptian god of the desert, storms, disorder, and violence in mythology. And uh, he was the usurper who killed and mutilated his own brother, Osiris, out of jealousy over Osiris's reputation as a great lord and um, his wonderful marriage to Isis. But uh, the set in this game is actually kind of a letdown if you're aware of uh, the Egyptian god. At least he was to me, because he's just some like random snake man with blade arms who's like, arising out of a bunch of orbs. I mean, he's, he's so... He left almost no impression on me. Like, it was just another longer-than-average battle, like, attack with Nakajima, heal with Yumiko, attack, 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 attack. He goes down. Bleh. We're done. There's a couple of uh, stumbling points I had because some of my demons were not at all strong to ice and fire, uh, so that caused a little bit of trouble because he'll alternate between a mass fire and a mass ice spell sometimes. But uh, as long as you have Persky's Nay, uh, it gives you a little bit of breathing room because once every few turns, he'll writhe in pain and give you a free turn to heal up and attack and generally catch your breath. Yeah, that is, that, that that definitely helps. I think uh, the difference for me, now that I'm thinking about it, is I think actually one of my demons also had a high-level healing spell. I think I had a demon with Diorama as well as having uh, Yumiko have Diorama. So it just, it, it just went down. The battle went down pretty smooth for me. 
yeah, and this might be the point where I was just getting used to the grindy long bosses. But yeah, he seemed pretty fine, pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he can hit hard and uh, take down multiple men party members with attacks. But oh, like, definitely. You know, if you just kind of pace yourself, and especially having Priscilla and knowing that he's going to get paralyzed every few turns, um, you, you know, it's definitely doable. So once you're done with set, he gives you uh, the best shield in the game, the Lion Shield, uh, which is one of four legendary pieces of armor. We find that out pretty quickly. Uh, at one of the NPCs in the next area tells you the five pieces, the four legendary pieces of armor, and apparently one that I don't even remember getting, which was uh, the mask. Did you just get that from Izanami? I had that mask too, and I wasn't sure where I got it. Exactly. I don't think that that ever is told that like you got this mask, but I'm pretty sure it had to have happened when you freed Izanami because that's the only mask I remember in the game. So this is something that I only knew because of an FAQ, but shield in hand, the next thing I did was head back up to the fourth floor of Sky City in order to try to track down the legendary sword. I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly. Kino Kagatsuchi. Uh, this is something that would not make sense to find for any other reason other than you know about it in advance. Uh, so on the fourth floor near where you beat Medusa, there is a uh, hidden door that your bottled buddy will point, point out for you. This is the first area where I actually yelled, was like, where I actually just yelled at the game because it was such horseshit. Oh boy, yeah, this is this is a mm-hmm. safe state necessary map right here. Yeah, yeah, uh, and this is the first area I noticed where the maps and the guides online actually diverged pretty diff- pretty well from the game that we were playing. Uh, the layout of the floors are a little bit different. Uh, what you have to do is you have to find these pits that are on the fourth floor, find the right one to fall in, so you fall into the right part of the B four basement. And then you take the B4 basement and you have to dodge teleport traps that will teleport you outside of the area you need to be and make you start the whole thing over. And while dodging teleport traps, you have to find your way all the way back up the stairs, uh, all the way back up to the fourth floor, where then you finally get this really awesome sword that trivializes a lot of demons and was my hardest hitting thing for the entire game. They really did not want you to have this. This felt way more like a bragging rights reward than anything else. Like it was, it was definitely designed for those kids who would play the game too much and would dedicate just their entire week to figuring out how to get it. Because the trial and error, like who, who possibly would have fun with that trial and error segment of actually mapping it out? Because you have no way. There's no way to like I don't know get some tr- callops and like throw them at the ground to see if it collapses in front of you or teleports away. There's nothing. You just have to no. make that sacrifice, go all the way back to the beginning, and do it from the start. And that's, ugh. It's goddamn maddening. It is just so, so insanely maddening. And sort of reminded me, in part, of um, some of the later maps in Persona Q, which I think we might, I'm sure we'll get to at some oh, point. It's on the list. Some of the later maps in that game are equally insane and maddening and full of like just ridiculous trial and error and so you know this is this is a long long uh, venerable tradition in smt games but it's uh no more fun today than it was 30 years ago nope not even slightly um so speaking of backtracking so you got your magical sword but now it's also time to go and upgrade your demons all the way And here's what I basically figured out by the end of the game. The best place to get all of your demons is in the Sky City, uh, Sky City Tri-State area. So Sky City, Valhalla Corridor, and Daedalus Tower. Because eventually it becomes pretty obvious that most of the wild demons you encounter just are refusing to talk to you. Um, I think by the time you're in the final area of the game, there's no wild enemy encounters that you can recruit anymore. It's all fusion at a certain point. Yeah, it's all fusion at a certain point. And so I went through maddening lengths to get my team up to snuff for the final battle. I think maybe it was a grand total. Like, if I didn't have speed up on my emulator, it was probably a grand total of four or five hours in real time. Thanks to speed up, maybe like two. You always need basically gnomes, cerebuses, um the guy in Sky City who stands on his hands. I don't remember. Fungus, I think, was his name. 
and you just need a bunch of these load level demons in very certain combinations um and oftentimes i felt like the game was actively not giving me the drop but that's the rng mega 10 one is so rng reliant it's kind of crazy do you guys are you guys aware of how um final fantasy games and dragon quest games roll your random battles not particularly in dragon quest you're uh if you mess with an emulator you can basically your next battle is always going to be the same the only thing that's different is the number of steps that you take somewhere between like one and 50 um and it's just going to roll the number and once you hit that maximum step number that's when your battle is going to occur the only time, the only way to really manipulate how to change, like the enemy that are going to spawn, is to like heal or save or any or anything that changes the actual ROM data. In Final Fantasy, it's not so much about the num- the number of steps isn't random. It's the enemies that are random. So you'll it's always going to be the same number of steps, but the battle's going to change. And this is early Final Fantasies. I'm not so sure about newer Final Fantasies. But in Mega Ten One, it is completely, utterly random. There is no determining factor for when there's going to be a battle, uh, what you're going to be fighting, how many enemies you're going to be fighting. Everything's random, and even like you, the reactions to your moves is pretty random. I mean, this is stuff that you kind of only notice when you're messing with an emulator and save stating and seeing if you get the same result from the same actions. But there's just it. It's all luck of the dice. And I mean, maybe that's some, supposed to be some grand metaphor for the chaotic nature of the universe or something, but it feels kind of unsatisfying in the moment. Well, it's strange because I think there's something there's something about the game that really kind of like ties back to its legacy as being originally an NES game. But there are elements that seem to call even further back to like really early PC RPGs on one hand, but on the other hand, there are certain like ease of use considerations in the game that are actually really forward looking. So it's this weird kind of mixture between like the unfriendliness of a say like mid eighties PC RPG and some really forward thinking, uh, ease of use, uh, aspects. Yeah, I think one of the things that makes this game so frustrating isn't necessarily that it's a bad game for its time. It's that it's so similar to later games we've played, uh, so similar like SMT4. It even shares a lot of uh, commonality with Persona, uh, Persona Q especially, that you, you can see the pieces of, okay, well, here's the thing that they're doing that's almost what I want, but it's missing this functionality or it's missing this ease of use. Yeah. So part of, part of why it's so frustrating is because of what I know I'm missing. Yeah, no, it's definitely not a bad game for its time. It's a hard game for its time and an unforgiving game, even by the, I think, the NES standards, but it's definitely not bad. No, it, it's a good game. Uh, that said, uh, fucking Finny Palace. <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, Finny Palace, the sixth and final area of the game. Um, here we have, uh, if I remember correctly, some bright blue walls. And honestly, nothing much to really look at. And uh, it's uh, uh, filled with uh, teleportation uh, fuckeries. Yep. Yep. After getting the sword and seeing the teleportation here, this is when I finally gave up and I said, I am not going any further in this game until I find a good map. And I spent probably a good hour and a half searching until I found a set of maps I could use. They weren't perfect, but they were just good enough that I was like, you know what? I got my demons. I got my levels. I know I'm high enough level to beat Lucifer from reading the guides. I'm just going to read my way from point A to point B until I'm at the end of this game. Oh, yeah. Finney Palace, uh, Map City, had that thing pulled up like a second screen. Uh, I went through and found all the armor I needed, equipped it. Once I was fully stocked, I said, screw exploring, Went made a beeline for Lucifer. There is not even that much to really find in a Finney Palace for the most part, besides the, you know, the ultimate armor treasures and... Um, and your key item to get to Lucifer. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Which we'll get to that in just a sec. There is a there is a town in a Finney Palace. I don't think you they even I don't even think there's a Cathedral of Shadows in there. Is there? Uh, there is. I don't know if there's a healer, but there's pretty much everything you would need for a town. Okay, there's it's it was missing something. I can't remember what one of the best one of the good features of a town was not in the Finney Palace town. 
Good features like not being full of monsters. Yes, that would have been nice. Well, you only really get one town that doesn't spawn any monsters, and that's Daedalus Tower, way back, Mekon Village. Uh, which at this point in the game is, eh, you don't really need to go back there. Every time I've gone back there, I was upset and had to reload a save because I did it by accident. <laughs> <laughs> there are a couple statues throughout the game that, for whatever reason, if you talk to them, they'll be, hey, close your eyes. Are you going to do it? Yes, no. Yeah, sure. I'll close my eyes. You seem like a trustworthy statue. Oh, I'm back at the start. Yep. So, okay. So, we know that Lucifer's here. We know he's the final boss of the game. And then defeating him will complete our story arc and send us off into the heavens or whatever. But we can't really defeat Lucifer at the moment. And you can try and fail if you want, just like every boss before Lucifer. Or you can go search for the item. So, here's the series of events. You need to have Rick's bracelet. Remember when I said that those would be important later? And then you need to go back to a, a holy urn, which you probably ran into in uh, the Sea of Flames. At which point, I don't even remember what it says to you if you go there before you have this information. Uh, so I did that. I think you reach in and it's just empty. And yeah, it's, it's just empty. empty. Ah, okay. And you also need to speak to an NPC who tells you the secret of the uh, holy urn. Yeah, you, yeah. You, this, is a, this is one of the weird NPC event flags in the game. Like most of the time, these things will just happen uh, just with the correct items in hand. But if you don't speak to this NPC, just nothing. Again, like I think, I think this is the only NPC I talk to. It's a skeleton who cackles at me and tells me that I'll never know the secret of the orb. Mm -hmm. And the secret <laughs> is that I just needed to talk to him and then that's the secret of the orb. Yeah, the secret is you needed to know that there was a secret. Right. Which is very strange. The orb is an item that forces Lucifer. Does it nullify his magic completely or just his healing spell? Uh, just his healing. So, yeah, he if if you didn't have this orb, if you tried to fight Lucifer, he can just fully heal completely back up to max health whenever he wants. And with this white dragon orb, you can now actually give him a run for his money. Mm hmm. Yeah, and with this, he'll still try to heal himself, but like with Set, it, it'll fail, and he'll basically get a free turn. You, you'll get a free turn to recover from him. So what did you guys uh, do for demons at this point? Did you guys work to get an elite fighting team, get some gods on your team, or what? Yeah, by that point, I had uh, Odin, Kali, Ganesha, and Krishna. I think that's 75% of what I had as well. Uh, same here. I had Odin, Kali, Ganesha, Ganesha and... Uh, Hanuman. Yeah, that guy. The yeah. dragon. I had him um because I was he was he was much lower he was about ten levels lower than everybody else, but I was just fed up with this game at that point, so I was <laughs> like, ah, eh, this is probably good enough. Yeah, he's still a good demon. Yeah, he was fine. Uh and the thing that was helpful was uh, at this point when I fought Lucifer, uh, Nakajima was level sixty-four and Yumiko was level sixty-two, so he hit really hard and uh with her with her intelligence maxed out her mass heals could actually heal around, I think it was around 100 HP per cast, which was pretty useful. Oh, yeah, they were, they were both doing about that for me as well. So we get up to the top of Affinity Palace. Uh, you have to fight, well, I'm going to say you have to fight the map one last time. Because um, <laughs> the last level has a bunch of holes in the floor that you can fall through and end up at uh, floor three. Or you, no, is he on floor one or is he on floor four? Are you talking about uh, Lucifer? Lucifer, yeah. I think he is on floor seven. Oh, no, you're right. You get to four floor and then you get to like this smaller, skinnier section of the tower that you just have to battle your way through. Um, it's no big deal. There's no treasure or anything really for you to find. Get all the way up there, find Lucifer, then holes in the floor all the way up to the very last tile that you have to step on. And then um, you fight Lucifer, final boss of the game. It's worth adding, there are a bunch of other bosses in that last room with him. I didn't bother to talk to any of them because I knew I was so close to being done and I could finally be free of this game. You don't even need XP at that point. There's no yeah. reason to fight them. Yeah, it's just make make a beeline for Lucifer and just get it over with at this point. <laughs> yeah, the only reason you'd fight them is because you're still under the impression of the muscle memory of filling out the map. Which is at at uh, you know two levels ago became kind of useless. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so I absolutely love the design of Lucifer, and I love the reveal whenever you see him. Uh, so he has goat horns on his head. He's covered in shaggy kind of uh, 
kind of redhead, red hair. He has this hairy eyeball on his chest that has its own goat horns coming out of it. And he's mm-hmm. reaching out to you in a very come to me, my son gesture. His opening line is the best. It's, son of man, I never believed that you would make it this far. Yeah, he has a good kind of like, uh, I don't know, Alistair Crowley meets Bigfoot meets a goat thing going on. <laughs> Absolutely. And so there's no way for me to think this. Like nothing in the game tell me told me this and nothing in the game led me to believe this. But I got the feeling that's like, wait, is it? Maybe he's not really that bad of a guy. Like, all I really know about him is that he's here. I don't really know why I'm fighting him. I don't know what he's trying to do, really. There's some ambiguous points coming up that lead to you to maybe ask those questions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the fight itself was pretty straightforward. Um, again, like, I, I feel like we don't really have much to say about any of the actual boss fights in this game. Uh, because the me- there are so many mechanics that you do have in later SMT games, elemental resistances, status effects, um, buffs and debuffs. Uh, whereas in this game, it seems like in their effort to stop you from overpowering bosses, they make them immune to basically everything except for punching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this this fight for me was basically either having one person do a group heal or having two people do a group heal with um, Odin using a Dirahan every once in a while to do a full heal on a pinch. And that was basically it. Um, Yumiko died once, which was great because it allowed me to resurrect her and get her back to full health and MP. And then I used another show <laughs> a little bit after that. And that was the fight. Nice. Yeah. I mean yeah. the, uh, the, the, the bosses in uh, mega 10 are, they feel like it's a JRPG trope that's prevalent in other series that when we're talking about SMT as a whole, it doesn't feel like we're talking about the same series because they've always been so good about avoiding that specific trope of not allowing uh, status effects to be useless against bosses. But in this particular case, they just, they gave you almost no tools except the very basic fighting mechanics, which just lends, makes the bosses end up being longer standard fights that you just yeah. have to win. It definitely takes some of the enjoyment. Um, I mean, one of the elements that I really, really love about SMT games is um, over the course of the game, really starting to figure out what the uh, different affinities are where you can start to, you know, understand when you meet a new demon or uh, meet a new boss in the games, you can start to, like, infer after a while what their affinities and their weaknesses and status effects are going to be. Yeah, definitely. Like, Persona 4 and SMT4 both have kind of a mechanical personality to them. Each boss fights in a way that's distinctive and interesting, and whereas in this, all the bosses are mechanically more or less the same. Some of them hit more often, some of them hit less often, and that's basically it. And now and now, now that we're, you know, post the game, I think we can all understand why that one game fact writer decided to just write, eh, this boss is no trouble. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it definitely makes a lot more sense now. It's like, eh, what can I say? They're not weak to anything, they're not strong to anything. Just hit them and then you're done. Yep. yep. I mean, he does have a bastard status effect that um, will damage damage and paralyze your uh, party members for a turn, which, um, you know, is probably the worst attack that Lucifer has. Well, back to Brian's point about the RNG in this game being way too random. This fight drug on for ages for me, and he never cast that on me once. Uh, So it's probably just the RNG not, not pulling his status ability up for me. Yep, I mean, yeah, I've definitely had different goes at bosses, some that just wipe me out in a few terms because they use their uh, worst attacks on me and others where it's just they never did anything but a basic attack. Very strange. Yep. And so once you beat him, he says something that's uh, kind of cryptic. At least uh, I haven't started the second game, so maybe this is another lead-in into the second game. But he says, the white dragon orb, how did you find that? I see. So he was, he was pulling the strings, um, making you wonder who he was. And uh, then he continues, Nakajima and Yumiko, remain ever vigilant for this is not the end of demons. Uh, Not the best writing right there. Um... Next time, he will come. Until then, I must rest. Yep, that is definitely a hook. That's your sequel hook. Um, Not sure. I'm not even sure who he exactly refers to. If I were to guess, I would say Yahweh, maybe? 
that would be my guess as well. But that's mm-hmm. probably because every SMT game I've ever played was always about either killing or dating God. Ooh, dating God. That sounds good. That little treat for the future, possibly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, then we got just some, you know, just some minor business to wrap up. So let's see here. We got we get to the ending. Um, we wa- Nakajima watches as Izanami's freed soul returns to the heavens. Um, and then it tells us that the long, painful battle was over. And then we they try to make us feel bad for Nakajima, which just is impossible because he's a he's a human human garbage pile. <laughs> I think your shitty dog shows up. <laughs> yes. Well, back Yumiko say- does cry. Oh, she yes. does. She does have to cry at the end. So uh, you know, we're getting the uh, you know classic JRPG generals uh, in there. You know. And then uh, we watch um, as the towers crumble back to the demon world. I believe uh, we get a few lines from the villagers of Mekon Village telling telling us that the tower and all of the surrounding towers are about to crumble to dust. But we do have Cerberus show up. Yeah, Cerberus shows up, and uh, for, for somebody that I dumped back in Daedalus Tower, he sure is pretty presumptuous thinking he's going to be able to come back to my side anytime soon. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, he's a dog. He's a demon dog, but he's still a dog. So, you know, I just assumed he's like, just like, hey, buddy, hey, buddy, I'm going to be by your side. Hey, buddy, you know, like. Don't like, worry, master, you'll be level six again. <laughs> And just like every uh, game of this vintage, we have to get uh, a credit sequence that tells us all the enemy names. I don't think they show us all the enemy names. It's just bosses, NPCs, important items. Nothing that you didn't really already know or maybe knew and forgot by this point in the game. And then it ends with a... An immediate, immediate smash cut. Megami Tensai 2. If you're playing the awesome version that we are that combines one and two into one game. Of course. No idea. I assume if you play or are playing the original NES game, it just kicks you back to the menu screen. Mm-hmm. But that's that's Megami Tensai 1. Um, so what did we think ultimately of Megami Tensai 1 in the grand scheme of things? Would you play it again? <laughs> No. No. I would not play it again. I'm glad I experienced it. I'm hoping that there are a few more uh, ease of use considerations and niceties in the second game, though I'm not, you know, I'm not counting on that. But I am glad that I played it, and I am surprised by some of the elements in the game that um, that are really were really forward looking and still remain in SMT games to this day. Absolutely. It definitely laid a lot of groundwork for the interesting stuff that comes later. Um, But ultimately, the game as a whole, I can't I wouldn't even recommend this to anyone. It's like even if you you were to meet the biggest Shin Megami Tensai fan in the world, unless they were, say, recording a podcast about playing (laughs) all the Megami Tensai games. I there's just no reason to recommend this to anybody ever. If you do want to dip in and see what it's like, um, this is. A terrible thing to describe an RPG, but it's one of those games where you can kind of get the feeling for what the entire game is going to be like after spending about half an hour to an hour with it. Uh, you get to see all the systems. You can see the DNA of the later games. And again, like I'm, I'm glad I played it. I had a lot of fun doing it. I had a lot of not fun right at the end, but even that was still, it, it was a kind of fun antagonism. And yeah, if you want to spend, if you want to spend just a bit more time with it, just just play up until about you're done with Valhalla Corridor, and then just you just you know stop. You're good. You did it. <laughs> Everything else is just the same stuff, but more annoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you want to simulate a boss fight, just load it up in an emulator, get to the first monster you fight, and just every time you do damage, load your save and start the fight over, and just do that for about ten minutes, and that's more or less the boss fight experience. Yep. It, it didn't stand the, the test of time, and it was a very interesting RPG when it was made, I'm sure. But as it stands now, never again. Uh, I'm glad I'm done with it, but also glad I played it. Like, ultimately, if I were to describe my level of fun on, like, a, a grade school American grading system, I would say I had about a B-minus level of fun. 
But that's with the the caveats of I was using an emulator. I had access to save states. I had access to the fast forward feature. Like playing this game in real time with the actual save mechanics would have been the I would have given up many days ago and just stopped. And I'm sure that's the fate that many people had with this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious what the audience of the game was in its original um, incarnation. I mean, just in general, SMT is like darker and more violent and, you know, and like a little more mature in its themes than a lot of uh, JRPGs. And you don't see that too strongly in this game. But I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily see this game as having a lot of appeal for like, you know, you're like eight year old NES player in 1987. Definitely not. No. Well, so do we have any other final thoughts on Megami Tensei one before we close this grimoire for good? So long, farewell and looking forward to this, look, looking forward to the second one. Yes. Excellent. So let's move on to a bit of uh, podcast business then, shall we? Yes. So uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and announce the next few games we're doing. We're going to keep a schedule of about three games ahead so you guys can know what's coming up. Um, and first of all, we're going to obviously the next game we're going to do is Megami Tensei 2. We're going to clear the plates of all the original Megami Tensei's. Um, and then after that, we're going to finally jump in with a proper Shin Megami 1. So we can finally, when we say Shin Megami Tensei, we mean actual Shin Megami Tensei. And then once we're done with that, uh, we will transition over to the Persona series and do the first Persona game available on PS1 and PSP. And we'll see how that goes after that. See how we're feeling. So uh, other news, uh, we got a uh, we got an email address where people can reach us now. Isn't that right, Evan? Yeah, the email address is uh, megatonmarathon at gmail.com. Uh, send in your questions, your comments, your feedback there. Uh, we'll, we'll try to read them on the air, and if we if we end up getting enough of them, we might even do an episode just about the feedback. So, Yeah, we'd love yeah. to open up the conversation. We only have our experiences to go on, so anyone else with a different experience, please let us know. And we're also uh, we're in the iTunes store now. Uh, when we released this last time, uh, we weren't, and I believe we're in the Google Play store as well, so... You can find us here if you want to tell uh, friends of yours about this insane podcast where people are uh, playing every uh, Mega Ten game. You should uh, send them over to the iTunes or Google Play Store or uh, send them to uh, our website, which is megatenmarathon.com. Great review, share, like, thumbs up, retweet, all of those things. So, guys, um... Sounds like we're just we're we're done here. Is uh, any last pieces of business we wanted to cover? I know it's a bit of a short episode, but well, there's not a lot of substance to this game. I think all that's left to say is hail Satan. Hail <laughs> Satan, indeed. And just and with that, life he, life ho, he ho, is not fair. <laughs>